Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, the epistle reading uh, reminds me of uh, when I was a youth minister uh, starting out in the late 90s, early 2000s in the Diocese of San Diego. And um, we ministered to a lot of like punk rock kids and, you know, kind of alternative kids. And and anyway, we were part of this, we we started this like abstinence program trying to curb um, teenage pregnancy. I think unfortunately we created more pregnant kids than than we actually abstained because the law only increases the trespass. But uh, what we thought we would do is... is, um, we'd make these cool t-shirts and uh, it had the, a giant pilgrim on it in a pulpit leaning over the pulpit and down below in Old English it said flee fornication and so anyway um, uh, <laughs> but it was terrible and uh, um, what we were doing to people and so uh, you know I mean and uh, this is what happens when the law gets muddled with the gospel and uh, and it's terrible and uh, you know um, yeah, and so today I have four points about how to flee fornication. And so, but, uh, you know, but this is what happens is that people miss the point. Uh, what Paul is doing here is it's not detached from anything. It's not like, hey, man, get it together. It's, uh, it's because uh, your life is not your own, and that's the big reminder here. Your, your life and my life is not our own. And it's not because uh, God is up there with his finger wagging at us, you know, which only increases the trespass which only increases the rebellion. You know, when God is perceived like that in the law alone, as Luther says, uh, commenting on uh, Genesis 3, even the wind in the garden becomes terrifying. And, uh, and uh, it only causes us to flee. And so what Paul is saying here is that because of, not because God is up there as a taskmaster, but because he's laid his life down for you and has shed his blood for you and has risen for you and now intercedes for you. These things are actually possible. And we don't think about... We think about in terms of our neighbor, you know, and our neighbor needs us to flee fornication and these things because our life is no longer our own. But when this becomes uh, the principal thing, the principal form of preaching, which is called law, and it only kills, it doesn't bring to life, uh, it, what it does is in religion, and this is going to happen all across the country today, sermons are going to be preached about how you better flee fornication or else. You know, kind of like uh, the word Samuel had to have for Eli, flee fornication or else, you know. It was like, well, you're going to die. Let's have what's for breakfast. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is serious business. But when this is the principal word, uh, and Charlie's going to teach on this today after in our theology class, well, it creates um, uh, despair, it creates skepticism uh, because if Christianity is just about morality, well, then what's the difference with all the other religions? You know, what makes Christianity unique? And then, or it creates um, uh, cynicism. You know, <laughs> I tried that, it failed. No, thank you. I'm doing my own thing. And I think a lot of us in New York, as New Yorkers, we are, uh, we've been jaded a little bit by the world, you know? And, uh, and so we are naturally either skeptics or cynics. And this is why our gospel is a word for you. A word for you. We tend to be very skeptical. But you need a healthy dose of skepticism or cynicism to really make it in this city on one level because of the difficult commutes. I mean, you know, the difficult commutes, the crazy rents. I mean, what people pay in rent is insanity. It should be illegal and criminal. 
uh, the hard work hours, the insane people in general. <laughs> I was like, am I the only one? I'm glad there's a few other that have dealt with it, you know? So, um, uh, but remind me to tell you about the one time I was wearing my collar on the subway and I just, a crazy person came up to me and it was insane. And I mean, it makes you a skeptic and it makes you a cynic. What am I doing? But skepticism on one level, let me say, is uh, it protects us. And it protects us from that deal which is obviously too good to be true. Nathaniel, in our gospel reading, was probably definitely a New Yorker because he is a skeptic. His friend Philip says, we have found him about whom Moses and the prophets and the law wrote. And we'll read that next week in our Old Testament reading. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's skepticism is warranted because Nazareth was a nothing place. Moses and the prophets never say a word about Nazareth. Historically, the Gentiles settled up in the Nazareth and it was a Roman garrison town. Therefore, it was a place where in a world where religious and ethnic purity is absolutely, positively everything... Well, their religious practices up there were questionable by most Jews, especially those living in the purity of Judea and Jerusalem. Seriously, can anything good come from Nazareth? Yet despite Nathaniel's skepticism, he goes to meet Jesus. And there's a lesson in here for all of us. And that is the proper distinction. We talk about the proper distinction between law and gospel. Well, here you see the proper distinction between skepticism and cynicism. You see, skepticism, when it's touched by the Holy Spirit, can lead to investigation. Maybe I'm wrong about this particular situation. Maybe I'm wrong about this person. Maybe there's something I can learn here as opposed to cynicism, which is the result of the hardening of life brought on by human sin and disappointment. Cynicism, actually, in order to protect oneself, longs to remain blind to any other possibility that could be out there. And therefore, its fruit is to be judgmental and critical about everything else except the self. The cynic why he or she fails to move beyond their preconceived notions because the cynic is so busy trying to protect and save themselves and their worldview that they fail to realize the possibility of beauty and truth, of grace and mercy in something, and in this particular case, in someone else. And this is my first point. There is a difference between skepticism and cynicism. Skepticism can lead to investigation, where cynicism desires to stay put with the eyes closed, especially the eyes of the heart. Now, this particular gospel reading has a very evangelistic element to it. However, what is chiefly being taught here is what my mentor, the Reverend Dr. Paul Zoll, taught me, and that is called the Nazareth Principle. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
I mean, seriously, what's that about? Can, let's put it into our own context today. Uh, can anything good possibly come out of an African-American pastor from the 1960s named Martin Luther King Jr.? Uh, can anything possibly good come out of Gaza? Can anything possibly good come out of our southern border? Can anything good possibly come out of that boss who is driving you crazy? Or that family member who seems to have cut you off? The Nazareth principle, what I learned from Dr. Zoll, is that it reminds us that while we may not have all of the answers right now, with God... In hopeless and helpless situations, the answer is always unequivocally yes. Even sometimes in what appears to be a no, the answer from God is always unequivocally yes. Because the Nazareth principle reminds us that God is actually at work for the good and speaking to us in those broken places and unlooked places in our lives. Oftentimes, the places we have become most cynical about. The American writer and poet Mary Carr articulates the Nazareth principle beautifully in her memoir, Lit. Uh, Mary recounts an experience of trying to invalidate her experience at AA so that she can go back to drinking. And what she wants to do is reveal that AA is loaded with crazy people incapable of offering any sound advice. And so she sets the scene about she's setting up and helping set up the meeting one evening. They're laying out chairs. And uh, she is talking about her troubled marriage with uh, what she calls a regular, a schizophrenic named Jack. However, it's here that Mary encounters the Nazareth principle, which I'm going to share with you. Eventually, I wind down and ask Jack, what should I do? As I wait for the word salad from his scrambled cortex to spew forth, instead his eyes meet mine evenly, and he says, as it seems everybody says, well, you should just pray about it. But what if I don't believe in God? It's like they set me down in front of a mannequin and say, fall in love with it. You can't will feelings. She writes, what Jack says next issues from some still true place that could not be extinguished by all the schizophrenia that his genetic code could muster. And it goes something like this. Get on your knees, Mary, and find some quiet place. A little sunshine right about here. Jack holds his hand in a ball shaped about mid-chest, saying, let go, let go, let go. Surrender, Dorothy, the witch wrote in the sky. Surrender, surrender, Mary. I want to surrender, she says, but I have no idea what that means. He goes on with a level gaze. And in a shady, t- in, a, in a steady tone, says, "Yield up what scares you. Yield up what makes you want to scream and cry, and enter into that quiet." Mary then asked Jack, "What if I get no answer? 
to which Jack said as if God himself had said it. If God hasn't said anything, go quietly and shine. Wait. Those not impelled to act must wait in the cathedral. And here's my favorite part of the entire interaction. She writes that Jack kisses his index finger and plants it in the middle of Mary's forehead and then says, she says, I swear when he did that, it burned. It burned like a hot coal from the archangel onto the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. To quote Samuel today, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak to those Nazareth places in our lives. Speak to those places where we've become cynical about and give us a word of hope. Can anything good from, come from Nazareth? Well, you're in the right place. Can anything good come out of a schizophrenic named Jack? You're in the right place. Can anything good come out of a church? You're in the right place. Can anything good come from the gospel? Can anything good come from a little bread and wine? This is my second point. Where is the Nazareth in your life? Where and what are you skeptical about? Where and what are you now cynical about? As Jack said, let go and listen. For it is in that place that you will hear the Holy Spirit say, your sins are forgiven. It is in that place you will hear the Holy Spirit right now say, be assured of my never-ending love in Jesus for you. You will hear the Holy Spirit say to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the Nazareth principle at work. Jesus, from the place that so many thought was a total joke, cuts through Nathaniel's skepticism and drew out his confession, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and the King of Israel. Nathaniel, he saw and he heard and he believed. And in a moment, you and I are going to come up because we've heard, we're going to taste and see, and we will believe. Jesus by his spirit, still today, cuts through our skepticism and he breaks through our cynicism because he will not, as God, allow the human to have the final say. And he draws that same confession right out of us. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. But how does he do this? Well, it's explained here in our passage because a lot of people think that um, this is just kind of an addendum to John's opening chapter but it's not. It is chocked full of Old Testament imagery and shows how Jesus now, he's created everything in the beginning was the word but now how he begins to fulfill the Old Testament. 
So often people miss it. But there's tons of Old Testament imagery right here that teach us how Jesus pulls this confession out of us. Our reading tells us, and I'll explain it. Our reading, and I want to explain two ways it does it. So, but our reading today tells us that Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him. And Jesus said, aha, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit or in whom there is no guile. Now hang on to that because it's a very important descriptor. But Nathanael then asked, well, where did you get to know me? And Jesus, speaking as the divine Lord, says, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, many early church fathers commenting on rabbinic teaching say that humanity fell in chapter 3, not because Adam and Eve, they didn't bite from an apple, they didn't bite from a banana or a pomegranate. What they were eating were figs. Were figs. It was a fig tree. And to be under the fig tree in rabbinic teaching in those days was to be under sin, separated from God. And so Jesus indeed now sees Nathanael. He's seen the whole race which he has come to rescue under the fig tree. And that's good news for you because before you ever could have made a decision about God, before you even knew him, Jesus knew you. And Jesus comes to you so that you might now encounter God in all of his grace and his mercy. Then Jesus says, gosh, Nathaniel's like, whoa, you are the son of God, the Messiah, the king of Israel. And Jesus is like, you're impressed by that. Well, you haven't seen anything yet. Now, why would he say that? Well, it's because in John's gospel, we're right at the beginning. Uh, Nathaniel, you're about to watch me change water into wine. You're about to watch me walk on water. You're about to watch me raise the dead. Nathaniel, you're going to about to watch me raise from the dead. And then ascend to the right hand of the Father. You haven't seen anything yet. And it's true for all of us. We haven't really seen anything yet. Especially when it comes to the age that is to come. When we will be raised from the dead. And this brings us to the second image. That connects to the fig tree. All of the world under sin. An Israelite in whom there is no guile. Jesus tells Nathanael, very truly, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's interesting, Jesus' response, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, for all the language buffs here, the you at this moment in the passage in the Greek shifts from second person singular to second person plural because he is speaking to all of the disciples, Nathaniel and Philip, but he's also speaking now to all of us through his word. And what he is speaking is the gospel, which is this powerful word that cuts through divinely our skepticism and cynicism. Remember Jesus' comment about Nathaniel. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This statement, when paired with that ladder, with the angels ascending and descending, would have hearkened every Jew back to Genesis 28. And in Genesis 28, if you remember, the patriarch Jacob, who's on the run for stealing his older brother Esau's blessing, has a dream from God of a ladder from heaven to earth. Not earth to heaven, but from heaven to earth. And Charlie's going to teach on that after this service today. With angels of God ascending and descending. 
And Jacob in that moment hears the voice of God say, in your offspring all the nations of the world will be blessed. What? Shouldn't he have heard, Jacob, you've really been a bad person and you stole your brother's birthright. What a jerk you are. No. Because God saves skeptics and God saves cynics, our God saves sinners as well. And this is my third point. What this does is that it illustrates how God does this and how God draws the confession out of us. And he draws the confession, he woos it out of us through the good news of the gospel. That not only do you have a God who in Christ who has come to, comes to you under the fig tree, you have a God who has offered himself up for you on another tree, the cross. And through, by being Jacob's offspring, he blesses all of the families and all of the nations of the earth. And in that function, as the latter, he bridges the gap between heaven and earth. He bridges the gap between you and him. Not so that you can climb up and meet him, but because he has climbed down to meet you. We have a God in Jesus in whom there is no deceit. And by virtue of his atoning sacrifice, makes us skeptics and makes all of us cynical New Yorkers. Indeed, Israelites, in whom there is no guile. So come to this table. Come, you've heard. Now taste and see that the Lord is good. And you will leave this place and you will believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.